Well, good morning. Try that again. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Hearing God, session five. We've been on a, a journey here together as a church, going through uh, some teaching about hearing God in our lives. And today I want to talk about listening for God's guidance. Listening for God's guidance. The Bible gives us lots of clues that God can and does give specific direction to his people. Let's start with Psalm 32.8. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Isn't it incredible that God would choose to direct us? That we could, we could go to God and actually uh, inquire of him, ask him to give direction in our lives, and that he would instruct us, teach us, counsel us in the way that we should go. It's quite an amazing thought to think of that God himself, the God of the universe, would actually take that kind of attention uh, to us. In the Old Testament, we read about how they would practice um, getting out of uh, sort of the, the busy hubbub of everyday life uh, to spend time inquiring of God. In fact, in the uh, life of the Israelites, uh, after they had left Egypt and they were traveling on their way towards the Promised Land, um, we read in Exodus 33:7. it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Now, there, there's a little bit of debate about was the tent of meeting the same as the tabernacle? And I, the more I've read, the more I think that they actually were sort of two different things but then became the same. So I think initially, Moses just took a tent. Just like as the verse says, he just took a tent, put it at the edge of the camp, and it was called the tent of meeting. Later on, God gives um, Moses very specific instructions on building a more... Sorry, I'll just plug this in and see if I'm blowing a fuse. Okay. So later on, Moses uh, gets very specific instructions from God to build uh, by, you know, the dimensions, the fabrics, the everything that's part of the, the, what, we, what we call the tabernacle, which was like a very elaborate tent, a super big uh, elaborate tent that had lots of different chambers and parts. But it seems like that before that, there was even just this tent of meeting that exists. I think later on, the tabernacle was also called the tent of meeting, but it seemed like there was this early tent. But whatever we believe about the tent and the tabernacle, isn't it amazing that there was just a spot designated for inquiring from God? A spot. And that's what was, was its main role. I mean, the presence of God was there, but the, the idea behind it was that anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord could go to this tent and ask God about what they needed. In fact, it reminds me a lot of the New Testament instructions in the book of James. James writes in James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So here in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament, we find the same dynamic at work. God wants to instruct us, teach us, counsel us, and guide us. 
And in both scenarios, we're called to actually go to him, to ask, to inquire, and to receive uh, direction and guidance from the Lord. So, we often talk out here at Hillcrest, we talk about listening prayer, listening in prayer. And basically, we're talking about asking God for direction, asking God for guidance, and then being attentive to listen for any thought or, or prompting or direction that we might receive. Now, some people would say, and I think this is said by, by people, that it doesn't really matter the particulars of serving God. Let me just put it into a statement. It doesn't matter where, where you're serving God or, or what you're doing to serve God or how you're serving God. All that matters is that you are serving God. And while it is, now I, my response would be, while it is very important that we serve God, that's the most important thing, it seems like in the Bible there's lots of clues that tell us the particulars of where and when and how actually matter to God. I've shared some of the stories uh, in the past with you about... Um, Paul couldn't preach the gospel when and wherever he wanted to. In fact, when he wanted to go to Bithynia and go into Asia, it said the, the Spirit of God stopped him from doing that and actually redirected him through a dream to go to Macedonia and Europe. Also shared with you about when the early church was, was fasting and praying, God spoke to them to set aside, set aside Barnabas and Saul, who would later be called Paul, to go off as missionaries. Well, he didn't, the Spirit of God particularly didn't choose. There's three other elders in that church at the time. He didn't choose Lucius and Menaean and whoever the other guy was. I can't remember. But he didn't choose them. He, he had very specific guidance in order to do the work of God in, in, in order to expand uh, the message and the impact of, of Jesus' teaching. So it seems like the particulars do matter. Uh, I want to look at one today from cha Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. It's um, and verse 26. It says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, now let me just give you the context. Philip has left Jerusalem, he's gone to Samaria, and he's had a huge impact there. Massive impacts. And miracles have happened, and people have begun to uh, believe uh, in Jesus and to follow Jesus. And that's good, right? Just stick with what you're doing, Philip. Just doesn't matter where or when or the particulars. But it seems like it really does matter. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. You know, just in case you're not sure. Which road? The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So you might be familiar with the story. He eventually becomes a, a believer in Jesus through the... Um, Philip's interaction with him. But it started with a very specific piece of guidance. You're to go here, exactly here. And then God has a divine appointment for Philip. And uh, of course, it, it leads to something really great. So, if God wants to direct us, if he is willing to guide us, that we should be willing to listen. In fact, we should be eager to listen. We should be eager to receive the guidance that God might have for our lives. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. 
Wow, how specific. It's a, it's a promise from God that he'll direct us. And it's amazing. It really is amazing. So today I want to share with you um, a, a number of steps. Uh, so I've got six steps for receiving and obeying God's guidance in your life. How to receive and obey God's guidance in your life. And uh, I think all of these will give you, uh, they're sort of like protective guidelines in some ways. But to help you to you say, well, I want to be led by God. I want God to guide me. I want to uh, receive direction from him in areas of my life. Well, uh, hopefully these, ones, these things that I'm going to share with you will help you uh, to figure out some of the basic steps that you can do. Step number one is so important. You need to submit to God's will. That's number one, absolutely number one. Do you want God to guide you in the first place? Well, then you've got to be honest about your motives. You've got to ask God to examine your heart. We're not very good at sometimes at examining our own heart. In fact, um, you see that in the Psalms where David will say, search my heart, oh God. God, you search my heart. Because we have trouble with our heart, don't we? We have trouble with our heart. Sometimes we're like, oh, I, I'm pretty sure I want this. But we realize that we're a whole mess of motivations sometimes. There's a whole bunch of different things that are vying. There's a whole bunch of different agendas in our heart. And if your heart doesn't want God's guidance in the first place, you shouldn't expect to receive it. Or if you do, you should expect that that guidance he'll give you might be a little bit confrontative. Because you're saying, I don't really want God's uh, guidance in my life. Well, I think it would be neat to experience God's direction, but I really don't want to obey. I don't really don't want to submit to his will. I really don't want his plan for my life. Well, then that's the first thing to address and to face uh, is we need to submit to God's will. If you want to experience a life where you um, sense and discern the direction of God frequently, you need to submit to his will in the beginning. That's very important. Number two is receive a prompting. So receive a prompting. So um, I've talked about promptings where you just suddenly feel a nudge in a certain direction, and you say, is that God? God, are you speaking to me? Are you, are you leading me towards this? Maybe it's an impression about something where you just sort of feel, I feel like this about this, and I'm not totally sure where that's, what that's all about. Or maybe a sense of guidance. But how do you receive that? How do you receive that? Well, look at the scriptures we've already looked at. Inquire of the Lord. Ask God if you lack wisdom. Just simply go to him and then believe. And then believe. That he wants to direct you way more than you want to be directed. He wants to direct your life. He wants to guide your life. And so believe that he, he, uh, he will guide you. And he'll guide you in his time. And he'll guide you in his way. But that he does want to guide you. So some people would say, well, you don't need to do that. If a door is open, go through it. And if a door is closed, then forget about it. That's, a, that's good enough. Some people would say that's good enough to actually make those decisions. You don't actually need a prompting or, or direction from God. But how many remember the story of Paul and Silas? They locked in jail. I love that there's an old uh, spiritual that goes, locked in jail. They prayed to the Lord and he did not fail. It's a good day to praise the Lord. Anyhow, uh, anyhow he, they're, they're locked in prison. This is probably the most direct story you could possibly have because literally the doors come open. Literally, the doors come open. So you say, open doors. Go through them. They don't. They don't go through the open doors. They are literally open doors. They were locked in jail, and God miraculously uh, frees them, and they don't leave. Why? Why don't they leave? 
because there's a jailer there who needs to be, become a follower of Jesus. His whole household needs to become a follower of Jesus. And so when the jailer is about to commit suicide because he realizes that he'll probably lose his life because he's lost the prisoners, Paul and Silas call out and say, hey, we never left. We're still here. And now, let's have an interaction, and it's an interaction that leads to this uh, jailer and his whole family becoming followers of Jesus. So sometimes, the door that's open in front of you, you shouldn't go through. And sometimes, the door that is closed in front of you, you are meant to go through. But God, in his timing, will open and close those doors and give you different opportunities. But don't you can't just... Uh, dictate your life by is the door open or closed if you are young very young you might uh, experience more limited opportunities in fact that's true you will experience more limited opportunities you say should I um, in the summer should I uh, work like let's say you're you're 15 or whatever in the summer should I work uh, at the local uh, fast food joint or should I work at uh, Bible camp right? Maybe you've got two options. And so you pray about it, and you try to figure it out, and, and you know, and I'm not saying which one's the right answer, I'm just saying those are two good options. So you're praying about it, you're trying to discern and stuff like that. But you could just say, well, I will, let's just say you didn't have both options. Let's say one of those wasn't an option for you. You say, well, there's one open door, I guess I'll just go through the open door. As you get older, it changes, and you realize the complexity of life, and you realize that you could choose between many, many, many options. So open doors and closed doors doesn't really work anymore because you have way too many open doors. There's just so many ways you can serve the Lord in this life. And so it's like, well, do I go here, 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 or here? Well, they're all open doors. So open doors and closed doors just won't work for you once you get to the complexity of life. And so you need the direction, the prompting of the Spirit, and you need... Uh, to receive his guidance. So you submit yourself to God's will. God, I'm yours. You want to send me to some scenario I wouldn't pick for myself? I'm willing. Uh, you want to send me uh, to something I w I'm surprised by? I'm willing. I'm just, I'm willing. You can spend me like change in your pocket. God, I'm willing. And then... Lord, would you direct me? God, I lack wisdom. Would you give me guidance? I'm inquiring of you to have uh, guidance in my life. So you, you get this sense, this prompting, this impression, this sense, and you say, it's this way. It's this way. Whatever it is that you get that sense. Then what do you do with that? A lot of people say, well, good, I got it. I got it figured out. I'm, I'm fine. And this is where I, I sort of wave the big red flag for you here. Because we can be wrong. We can be wrong. We can, we can get it wrong. We can think we're listening to God, but it actually is our mixed bag of motivations that's speaking to us. I want this, and I'm going to put God's name on it, and now I'm going to go for it. How many times, I don't know, in my life, I, so many times I've had people come to me and say, God told me to do this. And I immediately am seeing red flags all over their decision. Like, really? God told you to say, whoa. There's a lot of reasons why I think you should pause and not run out and just do that. And, and if I'm going to talk through a few of them right away. But there's a lot of reasons why you should pause and surround that 
sense of guidance with safety. I'm going to talk about some of the things that can help you to really discern and to, and to, and to surround this with safety. So the first thing is confirm it. Confirm the personalized prompting that you feel. And, the, and one of the, the biggest ways to do that is to look at, does it violate the principles of Scripture? Right? Does it violate the principles of Scripture? So a young guy comes to me and says, man, I'm going to marry this girl. I just feel God said I should marry this girl. And I say, well, you, you know that girl's not a Christian, and you are. Yeah. But do you know what the Bible says about that? You know, not being unequally yoked with people who aren't share the same faith. Do you know that? Well, yeah. Well, that's a huge red flag if you think God is telling you to do something opposite to what the Bible is telling you to do. In fact, I would say that you're not hearing from God. You should, should, uh, you should listen again. Of course, a young man who likes a girl, it's pretty hard to dissuade. <laughs> but don't stamp God's name on something that's really your own agenda. Don't do that. If it contradicts the teachings of Scripture, you better not be saying that that's God. And if you want to hear the promptings of God or sense them more and more in your life, you need to spend time in the Word more regularly. I, I get a little bit nervous in my own life if I'm not in the Word very much and then I'm trying to sort of listen in prayer. Do you know why? Because I'm just like every one of you. I'm influenced. I'm influenced. Right? If, if my life is like very little in the wor Word, but I'm on the internet tons, I'm influenced. If I'm very little in the Word, but I'm just watching a ton of TV, I'm influenced. Right? If I'm just, you know, I'm talking with my, you know, my sports buddies that I, you know, I'm on teams with, and just sort of like we just chew in the fat about how everybody sees the world, I'm influenced. But I want my thinking mostly to be influenced by God. As a follower of Jesus, that's what I desire. And so when it comes to uh, hearing direction in my life, I can be deceived if I'm not regularly in the Word. In fact, being in the Word is amazing because it's like fuel. It's like, uh, it's like you're giving uh, the Holy Spirit ammo to use in the battle uh, of your mind in order to get on the right track. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. 9 and, 9 and 10. 17, 9 and 10, yeah. It tells us about another factor that adds to the danger. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then it goes on in 10 to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. So our heart, your heart, my heart, and I'm not talking about your blood-pumping muscle. I'm talking about the seat of your will and emotions and, and where, you, where you make choices. I'm talking about that area of your life can be deceived. You say, I'm serving God, but really I'm serving myself. God told me, but really, no, that's just my own desire. Or I feel I must do this, but it's actually some sense of panic inside of me because of the messages I've been receiving through the culture or from people around me. It's not actually from God. And so if you've got... A deceitful heart, you've got a mind that can be influenced, uh, all the better to be in the word, not be deceived, not be influenced in the wrong way, 
And that will help you so much to confirm. Is it, does this line up with the word? And that's the first and most important one of confirming. When you get a, a sense of direction to confirm is making sure it doesn't disagree with the word of God. Here's the second one. Reflect on the tone of the message. Reflect on the tone of the message. Um, I, I've, sometimes at a set free retreat, I tell the story of how I um, was trying to make a decision between working on a sermon, or uh, this was years ago before I was the lead pastor, but working on a sermon and uh, going out and, and uh, I had sort of a side hustle I was doing to earn some extra money and going and picking up an extra job. And uh, I remember... I said, I'm going to pray about this, I told my wife. I walked out, in, uh, like I went out on the sidewalk in front of her house to sort of pray about it. I walked a few steps and I felt this panic about our finances. I never prayed. I just went back in the house and I said, I've got to take that shift. Now, when it was all said and done, I didn't work on my sermon like I should. The sermon was a disaster. Um, when it was all said and done, I was like, what's wrong? What's going on inside of me? God set me free from all that in, in a really amazing way, and I tell the whole story it's set free. If you come in March 16th and 17th, you can come, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. But there was a, what was, you'd say, well, well did you think you heard from God? Did you think that that sense of panic rising up in you about finances was from God? Well, maybe not exactly. But reflecting, but maybe you are actually trying to listen for God's direction in an area, and, and the tone of what comes should actually tell you stuff. It should tell you stuff, right? I, I don't think that was a message from God, even though I, and I didn't even think it was necessarily at that time. But sometimes you'll feel it, um, the way I like to say it, it's like, it's like Jesus leads like a shepherd, but Satan drives cattle. Like sometimes you feel so driven so panicky so you know so such a lack of peace in your life about certain things you should pay attention to that tone you should pay attention to that when you get a sense of direction in your life so god for example god will point out sin in our lives but he does so with conviction love and hope drawing us to himself and drawing us into repentance so when god points out sin in our life it's not without hope and it's not without offering us his very self, relationship with him. He's calling us back into relationship with him. That is different. That is a different tone than when the enemy points out sin in your life. When the enemy points out sin in your life, he does it with condemnation. He hopes to discourage you to the point where you just give up. That's a different tone. One has hope attached to it because of the truth of what we know about of how good God is, one is, has no hope to attach, attach to it. So, so pay attention to that. Do you feel driven? Do you feel panicky like I did that one day? That's probably not God. That's probably not God. So check if it lines up with the, with the word of God. Reflect on the tone of the message. Ask yourself if the word is reoccurring. So let's say you say, well, I just had this impression to do this, so I'm going to go do it. You know what? Sometimes... Uh, if you leave it a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about small things. Sometimes God wants to direct you in a moment, in a small way, uh, with, with stuff that aren't like the huge decisions of your life. I mean, there, there are decisions in the moment, and I think God will direct you, and you can quickly respond to him. You don't have to worry about those things. But 
in areas where it's a massive area or a very big area of decision, I think God will bring that back to you. The Old Testament story of Samuel is quite interesting. He's a boy. He's never heard the voice of God before. Samuel, Samuel, he hears this voice. He, he's pretty sure it's Eli, the high priest, that he, he lives in the temple. That's an interesting part of his story, but he lives in the temple. So he goes to the high priest, wakes him up and says, or he goes to him and says, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Oh, I guess I'm wrong. Goes to bed. Here's the voice again. Goes back to Eli. Okay, seriously, you, you're calling me. No, I'm not calling you. Go to bed, kid. Goes back to bed. And then it's like, here's the, and anyhow, Eli clues in. Eli goes, hey, maybe it's God. You've never heard the voice of God before, Samuel. So when you hear it, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And you know what? I think sometimes we'll have that. We'll have a reoccurring impression or prompting. And that can help us to sense, have a sense of, well, I had this prompting and then it just didn't go away. This impression has lasted. Or I'm still feeling this. Or I'm still thinking about this. And so that might be an... I'm not saying that's the whole kit and caboodle of knowing for sure that that's God. But that can help you to say, well, that wasn't just a, a flitting thing that came and went. It actually is something that is persistently there. It's almost like God is saying it again and again. And that probably is a clue for you to explore further in whether or not you've heard from God. You can ask for confirmation in your Bible reading or your Bible meditation. So you say, well, I'm regularly reading John and Psalms. A lot of us are doing that right now. I'm regularly reading that. I'm going to ask the Lord to, to show me uh, for some sort of confirmation out of his word. And, again, if you're looking for, I'm talking about guidance and significant decisions, that's probably a good thing to do. Is to say, Lord, speak to me from your word. And, and the word will speak to you so many different ways. So many incredible different ways. But that's a, a good thing where you can ask the Lord to confirm that through your Bible reading. Here's a big, big, big one. Receive wise advice or counsel. Receive wise advice or counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Man, there are so many topics on which we should be listening for advice. I mean, think about, I want to talk about just some of the big ones. Think about marriage, the decision who to marry, but also once you are married, how to make it work. We should get advice on that. You know, when couples, I, I don't do much premarital counseling anymore. Uh, both Kurt and Chris are doing more of that now. But I, I did it for 20 years. And I'd have couples come to me and I'd say, what books have you read about marriage? And they'd say, none. And I'd say, well, that was back when people read books, right? And I would say, none. You will never be more interested in marriage than you are right now. Read a book at one or two. I'd have a stack. Pick one. Just at least read something. You are wide open to learning wisdom right now because you don't know anything right now. Well, not much. So learn now and, 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 and get advice, and whether that's reading books or obviously they were coming to me for premarital counseling. I made it mandatory. That's why they were coming. No one ever chose it. I always made it happen. But get advice. Get advice in that regard. I'll tell you a quick story. I was, when I was pretty sure that Marnie was the one and that I was wanting to marry her, I phoned my mom and dad and I just said, hey, the window is closing here on this decision. And you haven't really spent much time with Marnie yet. So I said, can you travel to Regina 
They lived in Manitoba. If you travel to Regina and meet with uh, her mom and dad and her, and can you just use your discernment to see if there's some big red flag I missed? Because I am so infatuated with this girl, I could probably miss massive amounts of red flags. I could probably be totally blinded by love. I do not trust my own discernment. Could you check, could you do a scouting trip for me? So they did. They left Manitoba, traveled to Regina, and then uh, afterwards they phoned me and they said, no, this is good. Like, wow, Steve, you did way better than we thought you'd do. Like, this is... <laughs> so that was encouraging and discouraging at the same time. <laughs> I'm running to people all the time. They, they're making a huge decision in their life and they don't get any advice. Man, you're going to get married? Hmm, if only I knew somebody who really knows me. I should ask them for advice. I mean, so, I mean, so many people are getting married and they don't, haven't asked their parents their, their two cents worth. It's crazy to me, right? What about parenting? That's a big one to get advice on, right? I mean, in the early stages of parenting, you know everything, but after a few years, then you're open, aren't you? <laughs> You're like, give me any book that will help me solve this problem. I will read anything. I will go, I will climb any mountain, swim any river. Seriously. I'd know nothing about parenting, right? As you go on, you know less and less, and you realize, wow, I could use some wisdom. Is there someone who's been here before? I should get advice. How about finances? Finances. Some people are really good with finances. Some people not so much. They should get together and chat. Boy, wouldn't that be good if you sort of could find out what a smart person would do with your finances? That's great. In fact, I think almost every area of your life, if you found uh, good people and you actually, and they were, let's, like, you don't have, one person doesn't have to be your one and only mentor for every aspect of your life. Let me just say that. I used to believe that because I actually had the huge benefit in 19, early 90s of meeting a guy who was a total holistic mentor and probably could mentor me in 90 to 95% of my entire life, the guy was that good. I thought that would be everyone's experience. I realized that's very rare. Years later, I was frustrated because he'd moved away and I didn't have the same access to him. And then it dawned on me that I need a whole basket full of mentors. I need someone who knows finances. I need someone whose marriage I'd like my marriage to be like. I know someone whose kids turned out okay. I need somebody who uh, can tell me how to, you know, master personal devotions. I need somebody who can uh, teach me about career and job advancement. I need somebody. Find somebody. You say, man, I don't, I don't think their marriage is any good, but they sure got their finances figured out. Find somebody else and say, boy, those guys know how to make a loving home. They're a little bit wacky, but I'm going to learn that one aspect from them. I can let them mentor me in the one thing that they got solid. Right? Find mentors. Speak to people. Get advice. This is hard for Canadians. Because we have built up, in North America, we've built up the myth of the rugged individualist. The person who has it all on their own. That has hindered us. I... I, I run into this guy at the gym all the time. He's, he's from India. He asks the best questions. He is always asking questions, always asking questions, always asking questions, always learning. We've been at the gym for a year. At the beginning of the year, I thought, man, I'm really smart, and this guy has a lot to learn. At the end of the year, I thought, wow, 
wow, he's really smart and I have a lot to learn. <laughs> Why? Because he spent the whole year learning. In communal cultures, that's generally what they do. They ask questions. They get advice. They go to their elders. They say, teach me. I clearly don't know. You do. Humility is a good idea. I was fortunate to have two pastors who I can ask anything of. Since I was uh, 21, and to this very day, there's two guys that have been in my life. I could ask them anything. And you know what? It would get to the point where I would just tell my wife, I'd say, you know what? I got to make a trip to Alberta. They both lived in Alberta after a while. They were in Saskatchewan and they moved. I'd say, I got to make a trip to Lethbridge. I got to make a trip to Calgary because I'm stumped. And I phone lots too, but just how valuable is it people that you can actually ask advice of? So if you don't have anyone to ask, think. Parents, that's a good starting place. Ask your spouse. You say, man, I've got a direction from God. I'm sure this is the right thing. Does your spouse think that's true? That'd be a great place <laughs> to ask. Ask a believer who has experience in the area that you're dealing with. Ask professionals, doctors, lawyers, police officers, teachers, pastors, Christian counselors. Ask somebody who sort of collects the wisdom in that area. Can tell you the best practices. Can give you some honest feedback. You say, well, this doesn't sound very spiritual. It's absolutely spiritual. You know what? All these areas of life are part of sensing the direction of God. So I say, man, I have this, I have this sense of this prompting that God wants me to do this. Check the scriptures. Check the tone. See if, you're, if this seems like it's the voice of God. Check, check in with people who can give you uh, good counsel and wise advice. Let me give you another one. Receive confirmation through others. So this is where someone else receives something in listening prayer concerning a decision we need to make. So you say, pray for me. I'm trying to make this decision about my career or about my family or whatever. And then they're praying and then they come back and they say, wow, I sort of got the sense of this. I had a decision to make actually just about a month ago. I had two different people, totally disconnected, didn't, didn't know about each other. One came and said, uh, I feel like you're take, supposed to take this, you, you know, uh, you had a, I had a scenario, and, and they said, suppose you're, I, I think your response to this scenario should be slower than fast, and you should think about it longer. And then the other one came along and said, you've got to give it time for some things to develop, basically very complementary things. And I looked at those things, not as like, for sure, they both heard from God, but I thought, wow, that's neat that, that they correspond. And I added that to the puzzle of trying to figure out what God was saying to me for the direction that I needed. I think that's a wise thing to do. Receive confirmation through others. Sometimes it's just so blatantly obvious, it's great. It's really great. You know, when I was, uh, before I became the lead pastor, I was um, driving from Manitoba back to Saskatchewan, and I was scratching my head not literally, but just thinking about who could lead us in an, um, a stronger future in prayer in our church. And I thought, boy, that's a tricky one. It's tricky because we're like a Heinz 57 church. We're so many different varieties. We come from so many different backgrounds. I thought, who could actually lead us to walk together? And walk together became the key crucial phrase for me. How could I, who could I get for that? So anyhow, I come back, and, and I, my, I was my, my first meeting back, 
and I'm meeting with uh, Karen McNaughton, and I sit down with her in the boardroom, and we're chatting about stuff, and I say, you know what I'm really puzzling over? Who, who in the church would be really good to help us walk together in prayer? Because we come from so many different varieties of backgrounds. It would be quite a task to really go forward in this area. And uh, at the time, um, oh, no, then she just said, well, you haven't talk have you talked to Laura Blackman about this? I said, why? Anyhow, it was very interesting. She was about to uh, ride off into the retirement sunset with Duncan. And uh, I'm not sure what they're all going to do, but, you know, she was finishing as our office administrator. Karen was sort of taking over from her. And I thought, well, that's just, you know, a wonderful transition. Anyhow, I said, I should talk to Laura? So we just called her right into the meeting, and I just said, Laura, what's God been doing in your life uh, while I was away? I was away for three months on a sabbatical. What's God been doing in your life? And she said, oh, God's just putting a burden on my heart for prayer and to help people who are from very different backgrounds to walk together in prayer. I was like, God, you're making it too easy. You're making it too easy. So I didn't have to search any longer. I found my prayer pastor in like five minutes. I was just like, you're speaking the exact words that I, you know, like, this is a match. So receive confirmation from others. And sometimes God will make it that easy. Other times, you'll have to discern a little bit more. But pick people who love God, they're wise, and they have a track record of consistently hearing from God. Okay? Those would be good people to, if you're going to receive confirmation in that way. Here's another one. See if the circumstances point in the same direction as the word that you feel that you've gotten. See if the circumstances. I've told this story before, but I was praying, Lord, what do you want to do in my life before I turn 40? This is a few years ago. Praying, what do you want to do in my life before I turn 40? And a few things came out of that, but one was sort of odd, and that was go to Africa, travel to Africa. So I was in my, sort of at my desk in our house, and I had a whiteboard behind me, and I just wrote it on the whiteboard, travel to Africa. My wife saw it later, and she's like, what's this? Before I'm 40, I think God maybe is speaking for me to go to Africa. I don't know if this is true or not, right? I just think I had that come to my mind. I just wrote it on the whiteboard. I mean, it's not even in permanent ink. Like, we could wipe it off. Like, you know, it's not, I'm not fully committed to this idea. It's just sort of up there. But I think that maybe I heard that. But I'm not sure if it's true. And I'm open to confirmation or some big red flag coming up. I, I mean, maybe this is God. So uh, she says, how much does that cost? You know, Steve has a prayer time, and it costs thousands of dollars. Like, you know, how discouraging is that if you're trying to keep the budget going? I said, I don't know. It's got to be a few thousand bucks. I, I really haven't priced it out. I really just don't know how much it costs. She said, oh, where are we going to get that? I don't know that either. Okay, well, that's just on the whiteboard. That's all it is, right? So then, it, anyhow, I don't know if it's weeks or months later, I'm at this pastor's prayer or pastor's retreat, this guy's speaking. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. He's from Alberta. Anyhow, he comes down. Before he speaks, he comes down from the pulpit and comes down and he says, I feel like I have something to say to this young couple here. And he points at me and Marnie. And he goes, do you have a financial need in your life? And of course, you know, I was sort of like shocked by his question. So I just said what anyone would say. Well, yeah, we need a new minivan, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, I just said that and everybody laughed. And, and then he was serious. And I thought, oh, this guy's intense. And he said, no, I, I'm serious. And I thought, well, could it be that actually God's prompting him in some way? I thought, just in case this is real, I better treat it seriously. So I said, what do I need money for? 
the only prompting and direction I have from God that I need money for, that I don't actually have money for, is to go to Africa before I'm 40. So I said, I, I need money to go to Africa. And the guy said, how much is that? I still hadn't priced it out. So I said, I don't know, three or 4,000 bucks? And this is what he said, this is crazy. Okay, we'll give you $5,000 from our church's budget so you can go. And I was like, what kind of church do you lead that you could just do that? <laughs> that doesn't even seem responsible. I was just thinking, what? So I, mean, I was like, wow, are you for real? Are you grandstanding? What is this, right? After he, then he goes up and he speaks, and then after he's done, he comes over and finds us again. He goes, okay, I need to get your names and addresses if I'm going to send you the money. Okay, well, we live in Moose Jaw, and this is the church we're at, and this is who we are. Total stranger to us. It's really weird. Anyhow, I get a phone call the next week. It's his office administrator. She says, um, so is this address right? I said, yeah. And she goes, uh, do you need something from me? Like, and she's like, nope, just your address. Thank you, sir. And check comes in the mail. I'm like, what a weird church. <laughs> I wouldn't run a church like that. And why 5,000? I asked for three or four. Why'd they give me five? Like, I mean, what is that? Anyhow, I went to Africa as cheaply as I could. I traveled with my, my friend who already had a ministry that was there in Burkina Faso. I went as cheaply as I could, and, uh, you know, I just basically followed the program that was there. And guess how much it cost? $5,000. Be careful when you pray. I got home, and I was so like taken by not just the Africa trip, because that was amazing, but also this provision of God that I came home and I prayed again. I said, Lord, is there anything else you want me to do? <laughs> I haven't been to India yet. I'd love to go. <laughs> <laughs> and in prayer, had this sense that I was supposed to give $1,000 to church planting in our denomination. So, on the whiteboard, my wife's like, what? You're spending money again? <laughs> I was just like, oh, remember, the other one was free. Okay, right. <laughs> so then, anyhow, we don't have that money either. No, we don't. Where are you going to get it? No idea. Anyhow, it was a few weeks later. I'm walking out of Quiznos. Over here, I'm getting a sub for my lunch. I'm walking out of Quiznos. Minivan pulls up. It's, uh, you know, minivan with a mom in it. The mom says, uh, my husband just got back pay from... Uh, uh, union settlement or something like that. And uh, we, we prayed about it and thought, you should have this. Hands me an envelope. I feel like, you know, I should be looking around. You know, she's handing me this envelope. So I look in the envelope. It's all 50s, a thousand bucks. So I'm like, I feel like I'm doing something illegal here. <laughs> Anyhow. I, this is, now I'm telling you some wild stories. I don't normally have wild stories. In my life is not wild. It's really humdrum. I wear the same clothes all the time, you might have noticed. I mean, I eat porridge. I'm practicing for old age. I am just, I'm not a very exciting person, actually, to be honest. But God has sort of amped up the adrenaline now and again in my life. I think he knows I'm boring. I think he knows I need a little bit more excitement. So he occasionally have some things happen. It's not very often. I want to just warn you about that. It's not very often. Mostly, God, if I feel like he's prompting me to do stuff, it's pretty regular things. Are you prompting me to read the Bible? Prompting me to spend some time in prayer instead of going on uh, Netflix? 
Not real dramatic stuff. Those are most of the promptings I receive in my life. Are really basic stuff. Occasionally I have these weird experiences that happen where I'm just like, oh wow, I didn't think that would happen. But seeing if the circumstances point in the same direction, I guess that's where I was. Here were some stories where it was like, I, I don't know, it seems like I might have heard from God, but I could be wrong. And then circumstances showed up that I was like, oh, I think I did. So that might be your experience too, where you say, I don't know. In fact, I would say anytime you think you've heard from God, hold it with a really open hand. Right? It's those people who say, God told me. They're unteachable. In fact, they're way more likely to get off on the wrong track and to do something that is totally not of God than the people who say, maybe I heard from God, but I'm not sure. I'm sort of waiting for some other factors to come along to help me understand. And maybe it'll be advice, and maybe it'll be people, or scripture, or circumstances, or maybe it'll be something that it's persistent and it doesn't leave me. Again, hold those things loosely. So if you receive something, here's another one. If you receive something you asked for, and while you're still praying, the answer comes. That's a neat one. Sometimes that happens. It's like, Lord, would you give me the wisdom I need, or would you give me, uh, provide in this way, and the phone rings, and you're like, whoa. That sometimes happens. So that's another one I think sometimes that can happen. Here's the other one. Does blessing follow? Does blessing follow? This one you can't know in advance, so it doesn't actually help you make the decision. But it helps you make future decisions. So if you say, wow, I think God's leading me to do this, and then you try it out, and it's like, wow, that led to great blessing, maybe that was God. You, have, you maybe go from maybe to probably. You don't always know, but you, you, move, you move it up and, and, and you, you learn to discern, right? If you go, I'm pretty sure this is God, and then you do it, and it ends absolutely terribly, and it ends in chaos and division, and people's lives are destroyed, you also learn. You go, whoa, I don't think I heard from God, and actually I better maybe be a little more cautious and get more advice from other people so that I can learn to discern. I'm going to close with a story. I almost moved to Moose Jaw in 1998. In 1998, I, got, I was living in Nipawin, Saskatchewan. I was a youth pastor at the church there. And I got a phone call from Alan Buchanan, Kurt's dad, to come and consider becoming the youth pastor. They had an amazing youth pastor, Rob Chartrand, who has just finished his time here. And would I pick up where he left off? So Marnie and I came together. We weren't married. We were just engaged. And we were to be married in the spring. And it's, you know, 1998. Are we going to? Make this move. Now, I sort of wanted to make this move. The reason why was things were not going well in Nipawin. Our church was very conflicted. Uh, lots of leaders had quit, quit. In fact, we were finding it very hard to keep good leaders. And um, it was just a miserable time. Now, Nipawin was very nice, and we had many nice people in our congregation, but we just weren't playing nice together. We weren't getting along, and there was just a lot of trouble. So, I had at one point basically begged God, can I leave? Can I leave? Everybody else got to leave. They just resigned. 
I'm still here. Can I leave? And I, and I remember feeling like, well, how would I know if God's prompting me to leave? And I thought, oh, the book of Acts, God does all sorts of spiritual things in there. So I read through the book of Acts and read about, you know, the man from Macedonia that, so Paul knew he was supposed to go to Macedonia. And then, then Peter, the sheet coming down from heaven with all the uh, unclean animals in it to help him know he's supposed to go to the Gentiles. Oh, yeah, so I'm like, God, I'll take a man from Moose Jaw in my dreams. That'll work. That'll help me know. Or you want to take a sheet and lower it down with, what, moose meat? I don't know what it would be, but <laughs> some sort of sign. I'll take any supernatural sign. Now, here's the thing. We love big supernatural things. But you don't need that in order to be directed by God. You don't need that. In fact, I think there's a danger in desiring to have a big supernatural experience that could get us in trouble. You say, man, I just want, I just want something big and supernatural, like, like in the Bible, like, like when donkeys talk to people, you know? You know the story about Balaam and the donkey and that whole thing? Well, that wasn't a sign that Balaam was spiritual. It was a sign that he was disobedient, right? He, a donkey spoke to him because he was being a donkey, right? <laughs> so if you need a big thing, maybe you're not in a good place. Anyhow... So I went through the book of Acts, and I said, well, those are all great supernatural things, and then prayed, and Lord, would you direct me? And you know what I got? I just got this sense that I wasn't being released to go. And I was sad, because I saw the way that Alan was leading the church. I, I, was, I had a bit of a sniff of the generation that was around him who was leading faithfully, and I thought, oh, Moose Jaw would be awesome. Hillcrest would be great. I'd love to go there, leave all my troubles behind. But I felt the direction of the Lord was to stay. So in that interview I had with Alan Buchanan, with Marnie and myself, there was a, a young guy named Scott Francis, a good friend of mine. I see him a couple, a uh, uh, year or two later, and he says, oh, I'm so glad you didn't take the youth pastor position in Moose Jaw. I took it, and it's awesome. Oh, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Scott is doing so well. But you know what? It wasn't just blessing that God had in mind for Moose Jaw. Back in Nippon, where things were chaotic and divisive, things started to get better. In fact, they got much, much better. In fact, there was, there was new leaders sort of added to our mix. Some who uh, you know, joined the board and, and uh, others who sort of came along. We got a new senior pastor and we started to get a little bit more traction. People who had been causing trouble either left or sort of died down in their, 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 you know, some of the difficulties. And you know what? We started to enter a really good season of favor in the community. I thought our church's reputation would be destroyed forever after we had all this conflict. But God began to restore things bit by bit. And what happened was the next, um, well, it was three and a half years roughly, but they were, the, three of the, the last three of those years were really, really good. Really, really good. We built some really good things. We, we developed some really great things. And, and we had great favor in the community. Marnie and I would go to the Dairy Queen, the only fast food restaurant in town. And we would go there. And we would just sort of high-five our ways around the tables because we had so much relationship with people. We built up so much equity. And we were just like, hey, we feel like many celebrities in this town. We're the only youth pastors. And God had given us uh, kids to our youth ministry from the Alliance and the Baptists and the 
Mennonites and in our church as well. And it was just an incredible thing was happening. And then I got a phone call from Kent Stackruck. Kent Stackruck left an answer machine message on my machine. And uh, I said, hey, it's, it's Hillcrest again. And uh, Marnie says, oh, yeah. I said, I'll phone him back and tell him we're not interested. She says, you should pray about it. I'm like, yeah, I guess I should. I'll pray about it. Then I'll phone him back and tell him we're not interested. Anyhow, I phoned Kent, and I'm totally, I'm like, we are living the life. Things have transformed. Nippon has become this sunshiny, wonderful place, and we don't ever want to leave. We want to buy grave plots right next to each other and live the rest of our days in this beautiful community. And I get on the, but here's the, t here's the thing. A couple days before Kent phoned, my wife and I were praying, Lord, what do you want to do in our lives? The same question, the same question. What do you want to do? Guide us and direct us. We want to be directed by you. And we started to write on a piece of paper what we thought he was, we were hearing. Things we were supposed to develop, how we were supposed to develop, certain things we were supposed to learn. We looked at this list and we were puzzled because we said, how are we going to learn that? Who's going to teach? We don't know anybody in Nippon who could teach us that. Where, where are we going to get that? Where, the whole list was perplexing to us. I don't know. I don't know what kind of scenario we'd have to be in to learn those and develop that and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I get on the phone call with Kent. I want to tell you about the job opportunity that we have. And yeah, okay, tell me, Kent. I'm, you know, I'm going to say no at the end of this conversation, right? So he tells me, yeah. So it, part of it would be this sort of uh, development. And I'm looking at the piece of paper that's on the coffee table and I'm going, oh, that's on the list. And then he says, and also you'll be in this kind of scenario. And I'm like, that's on the list. And you'll be, we need you to learn these things. And, you know, anyhow, he's reading my list. Marnie was away for the phone call. She comes back and she said, so what happened? I said, we actually have to take Hillcrest seriously. Again. So when I wanted to come here, God said, No. Did he say no in an audible voice? No, I just had this sense that I wasn't released to go. Why? God had great things for Hillcrest through Scott's ministry. He had great things for Nipuin. And he wanted us to stay long enough to see the turnaround. And then when I didn't want to go, he made it clear. Not just through that. I went and talked to mentors. I read the scriptures. I, all those things that I talked to you about today, it wouldn't let me go. The persistency of it. The tone of it. I was like, we are such homebodies. We love staying in one place forever that if we ever leave somewhere, it has to be God. Either it has to be God or we're running away from something super, super hard because, anyhow, we just realized God was in it. And so we came. You know, I think the biggest question, the bottom line question is, do you want to be led by God? Do you want to be led by God? I'm going to just close with this. Let's stand. Do you want to be led by God? Do you want his will for your life? So God himself stands to guide and direct his people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you want to follow him? 
you don't know what that's going to mean. That's really a, that's a blank check you write to God. You basically say, you fill in the details. Do you want to follow him? That's the, that's the core and the beginning of being able to sense his direction for your life, is submission to his will. If that's the gate or the fence that you're balking at right now, if you won't jump over that at the beginning, then that's where you're going to keep coming back to. You're always going to keep coming back to that. Do you actually want God's plan for your life? And do you trust him that he's good enough that his plan for your life is better than your own plan? It's better than your own agenda. If you say yes, then guess what? On the other side of that is God directing you and guiding you into territory you can't imagine into experiences that are really quite remarkable. But you have to begin there. Lord, do I want your will for my life or do I want my own agenda? It begins with a submission to God. It begins with a surrender. It begins with a laying down of your own agenda and opening your hands to receive his. Would you do that with me right now? We're going to pray. Why don't you just open your hands before you? Just see how empty those hands are. See how empty those hands are. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, even as we see our hands, we can already imagine things we want to grasp onto, things we want to white knuckle and just wrap our hands around and say, I must have this. Maybe the culture's been priming us for that response, or maybe in our own heart we've we've thought there's something that else that can give us life besides you and so we are so consumed with that thing that area that that whatever it is god would you give us the grace to release that today would you give us the the grace to release that i and to be able to say honestly i don't need that but i do need you I don't need that, but I do need you. So Lord, we offer our hands to you today. Whatever you want to put into our future, into our lives, we believe that what you will put into our lives is for our good, it's for our eternal joy, it's also for the joy of other people that you would put whatever you put into our hands. We trust you. You are good, you're better than we know, and that we have a lifetime of experiencing how much better you really are. So, Lord, would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you prompt us? Could we truly and honestly say that you are practically and functionally the Lord of our lives, the one who has the right to command our obedience? And, Lord, let us obey. In your name, amen.